Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. This is JC. Well, we are on a summer sabbatical. Every year around this time, we like to take a few weeks off from our weekly recording. Uh, Life just gets really busy during the summer for all of us between speaking at camps and conferences and retreats, uh, family vacations, church events. There's so much going on during the summer. And so we take a slight pause during the summer for a little summer sabbatical, Uh, but we're not going anywhere. In fact, when we come back in August, we have got some incredible uh, interviews and conversations lined up. We're going to be taking this summer, actually, and preparing for some of those conversations that are coming in August. You're going to want to be sure to stay tuned to that. But this summer, what we're going to do is take a look back. Uh, We are uh, almost to 200 episodes, and we've had some incredible conversations over the last few years. And so this summer, we're going to take a look back at some of the conversations that got us to where we are today. It's a trip down memory lane. We're going to hit the old paths of the RFP, if you will. (laughs) I can't wait for that. A couple things I do want to make you aware of. You can go to our website right now, recoveringfundamentalist.org. Go on the Israel trip with us. If you're a pastor, we'd love for you to be part of this trip January 24th through February the 3rd. It's only $2,800 to go with us, uh, give or take a few dollars there. But you can find all of the information at recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Israel tab and go with us to the Holy Land. Also, we're real excited coming up the first weekend in November. That's November 3rd and 4th in Danville, Virginia. It is our second annual For the Sake of the Gospel Conference. And this year is going to be just as great as last year was. Go ahead and make plans. We'll have more information coming on that uh, when we come back in August. All right. Hey, thanks for being here with us on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We'll be back live in August. Until then, enjoy this trip down memory lane with some of our favorite episodes of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Let's go. In three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. There'll be seven frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hi, man. This portion of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast is brought to you by podlife.house. From affordable to adorable, you have to check these guys out. They built custom container homes that can be made manly enough that Tony Hudson would approve, roomy enough for an old-fashioned dinner on the grounds, and strong enough to withstand the sin-hating, devil-chasing, hellfire and brimstone Georgia camp meeting, complete with a full-size appliance that can easily hold your 44 ounces of I don't give a rip. Check them out online at podlife.house. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We're your hosts, JC, Nathan, and Brian, coming to you live from the J Radio studios. It is good to be here with you tonight. Hey, we want to thank our sponsors here at the RFP, Free Life Soap. Free Life Soap, you can find them at therecoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the link, use the promo code RFP, get 10% off of your order. And we also want to thank our patrons of Patreon. You guys are blowing our minds with how much you are giving to the ministry and helping us continue to grow. And uh, so we want to thank all of our patrons there. And we want to thank J Radio. J Radio, you can find them at jradio.com. You can go on your Android or Apple and uh, download their app. It is brand new. It is out today. They got all kinds of music on there from pop to R&B to uh, Brian's favorite traditional pop. Isn't that your favorite? Georgia, Georgia, you were always on my mind. Yeah, I love traditional pop, man. Is that traditional pop or is that? My favorite version of that is Willie Nelson. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) You got to be a little high to like that one. (laughs) Georgia. Pass me a DB, Georgia. That's that's about all I can think of there. Hey, so we want to thank Jay Radio for being a sponsor of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Hey, here's one of the things that we absolutely love. So this is episode number 23, and uh, we've been doing this since January, 23 episodes in. And one of the things that we absolutely love is every single day we're getting messages or phone calls or text messages or emails of you sharing your story. This week in particular, guys, we received two messages that really moved me to tears and uh, Nate read the one that we got the other night this is I will have to say different from any other email we've ever received but it just speaks for itself let me read it I'm not one to reach out normally but I had to right now I'm sitting here holding my sleeping baby 18 month old son who is in the ICU in and he names his town recovering from a very serious seizure where we almost lost him and was catching up on the podcast and listening to episode 15 family matters i listened to the end where you all saying his eye is on the sparrow that really blessed me and i'm sitting here with tears streaming down my face thinking about god's love and care for me and our son you really helped me and god was very real in speaking to me wow how cool is that that's awesome that i actually amazing. followed up with him and good news his boy is better he went home and uh, he's healing at home now so that's that is that's awesome. great we got this one great. and uh, she doesn't want to be named but this girl said i grew up in the ifb it never felt comfortable after many conflicting instances i left not only the movement but christianity altogether My hatred of God stemmed from IFB experiences. I was convinced that either God wasn't real or maybe he even hated me. Mm. About a month ago, a friend shared this podcast with me. I've since listened to every episode, and I felt the push to start reading the Bible, not out of religious tradition, but to find out who God really is. And through this podcast and God's Word, I have found that gospel alone has the power to reconcile and save. Today, guys, I am a follower of Jesus. Thank you for making this podcast so that those who are far from God may be brought near to Him despite any circumstances. That's why we call this a ministry. Yeah. I think a lot of people hear this and they think, oh, it's just a podcast. And, you know, we kid around and we have a lot of fun. We, we roast each other. We joke. We do all those things. But at the heart of this, we, we repeat over and over again, this is a ministry. And those two email messages prove that people are being ministered to. Yeah. That is absolutely 100% 
encouraging. As a matter of fact, that'll put you under the spout where the glory hey, comes man. in. Come on. <laughs> and that's exactly why we started this. I mean, you know, Brian, to help, to encourage, and to challenge. This week, we are real excited because you heard just a few weeks ago, Paul Kidd was on here and did an excellent job. Our number one podcast All episode time. that has been out, Paul yep. Kidd. And we just figured we'd take that one from platinum to aluminum tonight. And so we've upped the ante. And uh, we have Paul back with us tonight. But joining Paul, we have his dad, Dr. Phil Kidd. Gentlemen, welcome to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here tonight. It's a strange thing to me. This is supposed to be a Christian broadcast, <laughs> and you open up with Willie Nelson, a God-cussing drunk, singing Georgia, and you guys don't know the third verse or the fourth stanza of Amazing Grace, but you know <laughs> Willie Nelson songs. <laughs> I wish you, you know, you liberals need to get your act together and find out what direction you're going to go in. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for having me on, man. I've been looking forward to this. We're going to have a great time. Oh. Millions are going to watch. Millions are going to listen to this by television, internet, live stream, Roku, Facebook. Roku, there it is. <laughs> it's going to be huge. Oh, I love it. It's going to be on, man. Hey, I'm sorry, we, uh, watching. I'm sorry we made y'all sit in the waiting room and uh, wait to come on our Zoom call here to do that. But Paul, what was that you texted me tonight right before uh, you came on the episode? I would have to go back and look at it. Mm, I, I screenshotted it. <laughs> I can give it to you off the top. Oh, what, of my what, head. what was it, Phil? Is a dirty rotten egg sucking good for nothing water down yellow belly. Mama called daddy set tulip squirting <laughs> those preachers that won't stand against nothing. And that's how I identified you guys when I come on. I don't. <laughs> Oh yes. Hey oh, man. I'm not I'm not tulip squirting. Just just now everything else you <laughs> but, said. But it does sound cute. <laughs> <It does. laughs> oh man. So this is gonna be a good episode, I can tell already. And we only have four things that we're gonna go to tonight. And we just wanna start it off. Dr. Phil, if you will just share your story. Who is Dr. Phil Kidd? Because we see you on clips, on IFB Preacher Clips, and you know we've seen you in camp meetings. Folks know Phil Kidd's stories. Everybody has heard of Dr. Phil Kidd. Take us back to the beginning. How did you meet Jesus? How did you get into preaching? What molded and shaped Phil Kidd to be the Phil Kidd that we know today? Well, I think Pastor Paul kind of gave you a little bit of a definition and a background of my life, raised in the ghetto, non-Christian home, lived next door to a beer joint all my life, got in a shootout, little girl took a bullet in the face, saved my life, sent me through three mental wards, three dry out clinics, and uh, just lived on the streets, was on the bottom, facing 50 years in the Ohio State Penitentiary at one time. And an old aunt and uncle prayed for me every morning and every night for two years and called me one night and asked me to go to a revival meeting on November 21st, 1975. And I went back on the 22nd and uh, that's when I gave my life to Christ and mm. got born again, turned me around. And um, a year after that, I felt the call of God to preach, went off to Bible college, went to Greenville, South Carolina, went to Tabernacle Baptist Bible College with the great late Dr. Harold B. Seitler. Mm. Graduated from there after three years, never missed a class, never tardy, never got a demerit, never had a late slip. Went on to another Christian university that satellited through a secular university because I wanted to be certified as a psychologist. And of course, Christian schools didn't offer that. And so, brother, think about this. Can you imagine a 16-year-old boy sitting on a street corner, throwing up between his legs into a sewer? And five years later, didn't know a verse of scripture. Five years later, he's preaching on the biggest platforms in America. Hmm. 
And that's exactly what God did for me. Mm. And all of that was through the independent movement. I was saved in the independent movement, schooled through the independent movement, preached through the independent movement. So I'm not talking tonight about things I read out of a book. We're going to get down to the nitty gritty of what I have seen in 42 years of preaching the gospel uh, in this kind of situation. So, again, thank you guys for giving me this window, this open door. And you got a lot of guts. You got a lot of guts. You're going to get more mail. They're going to call you stuff you've never even heard of. Now, I thrive on it. I'm going to be honest with you. I love hate mail. I read every cuss letter I get. And one day, one day out of all my ministry, I remember not getting a letter and it bothered me. So I went to the computer and I wrote myself one. Because, <laughs> you, you know, you got to keep your stats up. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know how brave we are because uh, I don't even think you're aware of this, but Paul actually invited us up to a cabin that you guys have. He said, you know, we could meet in the middle of the woods in this cabin. Y'all could all drive down and record this episode. And we all said, oh, heck no. We ain't meeting Phil Kidd in the middle of the woods on his territory in a cabin on his property. That ain't going to happen. I'll sit in the J Radio Studios. This would have been your last podcast. (laughs) I'm as happy as a beaver in a redwood forest being this far away. I understand. But that's basically in a nutshell you know, how I got saved and called to preach and the independent movement was everything I ever knew. Hmm. That's basically my life story. We all share that in common. My parents were saved uh, in the independent Baptist movement. I think all of our parents were. We were all raised in it. And uh, it's this unique little bubble that we all grew up in. And it was the yeah. world to me. It wasn't a sect of Christianity. It was Christianity. It was the Bible. It was all I knew. And one of the first questions we really want to get to is what are some things that you would say right now? I think you've probably changed a lot over the years, but what are some things? I would feel sorry for anybody that doesn't make adjustments over a long ministry. Absolutely. But what are some things that you would say just right up front? These are some things that I will never change. I will never apologize for. This is who I am and this is who I'm going to be. First, I would say the most controversial thing I would have to say is let me be me. Let me be me. I understand you're not me, my personality, my demeanor, my delivery, my approach. And one thing I have retained through all criticism is I'm not afraid to be Phil Kid. It doesn't, I don't have to have a group. I don't need cheerleaders. I don't need a sec of the movement patting me on the back. They can like it, lump it, bump it, jump it. It doesn't matter to me. (laughs) I just want to have the liberty to be me. And when people have me in for meetings, they have to take me as I am. And most of them apologize for me before I get there. Oh, yeah. They'll say to their people now, you know, there's some stuff we don't agree with about him, but they know better than to say it to me because if we're we're independent, that's one thing I refuse to give up Hmm. is the fact that God knew me when he called me. He knew my shortcomings. He knew my personality, my temperament, my delivery. And so I've never been afraid to be me. And I'm not changing that. For instance, if a man calls me and said, look, I'd love to have you, but, you know, could you stay away from this? I'd say, no. A matter of fact, if you have me now, I'm going to do it because (laughs) this is something now you've let me know, you know, you're very sensitive to. So, no, I've never let anybody control me. And if I could say anything to young preachers, Brother Cabat, and you being a preacher's son as well, you know this. There's a groove people try to get you in to fit that mold. You know, you got to wear your hanky and your coat like they do. You know, everything's just got to be exactly like them. There's no room for people to be different. 
Mm. And that's always bothered me. Let, let me illustrate. I do believe we need some weeping Jeremiah's. God helps somebody to cry over this mess we're living in. I believe we need some educated Isaiah's coming out of Galilee that'll take that book and verse by verse, just put it out there. I, I believe that. But once in a while, what's wrong with a wild John the Baptist coming out of nowhere, wild as a buck, different than anybody you've ever heard in your life, didn't even wear a priestly garment, baptized Jesus with honey in one pocket and a locust in his mouth. But God used every one of those men. Matter of fact, he said, every man born of a woman, John's the best. He's the greatest. And John was weird. I mean, he called them snakes. Are you kidding me, brother? You guys stand up and tell your people, Sunday, you bunch of freaking snakes. See if you get a raise or a vacation this year. So I love my independence. Now, people don't preach like me. They don't address things like me. I promise you, that does not bother me. I had one of Brother uh, Edward's dear friends in my church to hold my last revival, Brother Malcolm Carter. He is not going to say what I say, and he's not going to say it in the way I say it. Matter of fact, he probably don't even think like that. But, but my people loved him, and they want him back. And he's so different from me because I've taught my people every preacher is different. And that would be one thing, Brother Cavat, that I would encourage every preacher, never be afraid to be yourself. Mm. So Nathan, you know, just ask about things uh, that you haven't changed or things that you wouldn't change. And you answered that, you know, being yourself. And, and so I want to ask that question in the reverse about things that you have changed, things that you have changed because you regret, uh, maybe some things you've said, things you've done. Um, before I, before I ask you that question though, or, or I guess I just did, or before you answer it, I want to just share some things that I do appreciate about you. I appreciate, first of all, that you were a friend to your son, even when the two of you disagreed. Because my dad was my friend, even when he and I disagreed on traditional issues, church issues, our friendship was never broken. It was awesome last week, Paul, that you were able to talk about the fact that your dad was always your friend. And I greatly appreciated that. Absolutely. Um, because I know a lot of men, and, and Dr. Kidd, you do too, they've turned their backs on their sons when there's disagreement over church issues, and that's sad. Now, the other thing I want to say that I appreciate is that you've always been willing to preach in smaller churches. Is that true? Absolutely. You know, my dad has always been willing to do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, he called me a little while back. He was preaching a meeting in a church that only had about 25 people. He said the choir got up to sing, and he was the only person in the audience. In there, um, in there. <laughs> but my dad called a little while back and confronted a, a pastor evangelist who's notorious for if he has a small church booked and a larger church calls, he cancels that meeting. I'm sure you're familiar with exactly probably who I'm talking about. Oh, yes. And I appreciate the fact that you've never done that. Um, the other thing is tonight we're adding to the list because I appreciate that you're willing to sit down with guys that I'm sure you're, you're confident that we disagree on a lot of things with regard to approach and some things like that. But what are some things that you have changed? What are some things about the past Phil kid that you would say to an audience as large as this one? Hey, I regret this. That is a very good question. And I'm so glad you asked that because when you've been in the ministry 42 years, there are times you have got to reflect. 
I would be ashamed to say I listened to me preach 42 years ago and nothing about me has changed. You, you talking about limiting the grace of God through knowledge, prayer, Bible study, the anointing of the spirit of God, there should be a constant growth in all of our lives. I, I fear when people say that there's something wrong with that. Um, one of the main things, and there's a lot of things I've changed by the way, um, was when I came out of the independent movement, you got to understand the late seventies was rocking. I'd never been to a church in my life. You understand this. I had zero church background. So brother Cabet said, it's so perfect that the IFB was not part of a quote religious world or the gospel. It was the only one. If you were outside of that bubble, you were heretic, heathen, unsaved, perverted gospel, you know, going to hell, twofold child of hell. So you understand, I came out of nothing, and this is all the kind of preaching I'm hearing. There's a big division in the Southern Baptists, and you remember them days too, Brother Edwards, I'm sure. You know, you got to pick or choose, Southern Baptist, Independent. Well, I didn't even know what the difference was. First church I ever preached in was Southern Baptist, and revival broke out. I was 19, and I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> and um, through my training, one of the biggest mistakes I made was this. If it was an independent, fundamental, King James, near literature, you know all the lists, premillennial and all that, then you don't go. You don't go to churches like that. You got to stay in your groove. You know, how can two walk together unless they agree? That's their favorite verse. Mm -hmm. But dear God, husbands and wives don't even agree on everything. <laughs> so, you know, that doesn't mean it's a verse for divorce. So, and I think your dad went through this maybe a little bit, but the independents would say to me, you preach for a Southern Baptist church and we're done with you. Mm -hmm. You know, we're cutting off. We didn't come out of the Southern Baptist movement uh, to go back in, which I didn't either. And I understood their stand and their conviction at the time. But here, if I had it to do over, here's what hurt, Brother Edwards. Some of those men that stayed in could have been helped. But we shoved them away from us and slighted them because we made them feel inferior to us. I wish I would have reached out to younger Southern Baptist men and said, look, Let's have a commentary. Mm. Let's sit down, first of all, and see what we do agree on. And then let's see if we can find a happy medium on working out some things we disagree on. For instance, the only thing I've ever seen in my life more corrupt than the Southern Baptist Convention is the independent fundamental Baptist movement. <laughs> that is the only thing I've ever seen supersede the corruption of the convention. And I'll get into that later on, I'm sure. So I would reach out more and branch out more to people that maybe didn't see everything like I did, even doctrinally. Why can't I preach for a free will Baptist guy and maybe take him out to dinner one day and explain eternal life to him? Maybe he only knows what he's been taught. But see, you couldn't do that when I was coming up. Hmm. You had this straight vein of independence only. Uh, I turned down revivals from young Church of God men that I look back on that now and I thought, man, if I had reached out to that guy and, and sat down with him and said, look, man, let's go through the scripture together. Let's have a dialogue. One of us is wrong and let's find out who it is. I think I could have helped a whole lot more people than I did just staying in this independent vein. And you remember those days when it was independent or nothing. Oh yeah. And that was one of the biggest mistakes they ever made. 
I know for myself, <clears throat> I um, facilitated my dad uh, having a sit down meeting with a large um, uh, name in the independent Pentecostal holiness church, uh, Bishop Miller out of Oklahoma city. And um, I remember dad, he was down in Florida. It just so happened. Bishop Miller was just a couple miles away. They had heard of each other, had never met each other. Of course, there are two totally different circles. And it was cool to facilitate that, knowing that for so many years, my dad had preached in such a circle that that was considered wrong. Like to post a picture on Twitter and say, went out to eat today with them. Both sides are taking fire from that. (laughs) You know, but I thought that was a a watershed moment because here I am, I'm in my 30s. And that was something for 30 years of growing up and, and knowing my dad had never done. Well, well, let me give you for instance, and I go bold with this, by the way, fellas, this is stuff I do in a closet. When I do something, I'll go on Twitter, Facebook, fan mail, anything to get a cuss letter or support. I, I, I do that to keep my, you got to keep numbers up. So, but look, three men helped my church to go to the next level. We got one of the fastest growing churches in our area. Three men helped me. And only one of them is an independent Baptist. Brother Malcolm Carter was one of them. You guys know him well. Great guy. The other one is Brother Jonathan Robbins, pastors in Kernersville, North Carolina, the Summit Church. Helped me tremendously with staff. Dr. Bishop is a Pentecostal church in the, called The Gate in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He helped me with training the next generation, discipling your converts. Mm. But see, I gleaned from all of those men. But back when I started, Brother Edwards, if I would have attempted to glean from anything other than that vein, you'd have been cut off. I mean, absolutely. Word would have got out. You're ecumenical. You're liberal. You're going in another direction. That's their favorite saying. If you don't do everything like them, you're going in another direction. So I hate the fact that I didn't reach out further younger with people that I disagreed with on some stuff. What that would, would definitely be one of them. What would you say to people who would say that you've compromised now? Because you know they're saying that, and guys who say, you know, you've chosen Paul over your standard. You've chosen to reach out to these Paul's other people. Paul's a liberal. He's like you guys. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean Paul, there's nothing about We're totally different on everything except the gospel. Uh, and, and you're right, Brother Kavat. And I had to go through that. Now, here's what they, pro- you know, the independents, they prophesied, then preach against it. Oh, yeah. This is what they <laughs> prophesied to me. Number one, in, in one year, I would throw the Bible away. There would be no standards in my church, and my auditorium would be empty. And Brother Edwards, every one of those men that said that, you know personally, every one of them, evangelist, pastor, evangelist, slash, you know what I'm talking about. We, we've not changed anything. Our church is the fastest growing church in East Tennessee. We had 58 first-time visitors just in the last couple of weeks. We built a balcony. It's full now. We're going to be going to two services or building a new auditorium, whichever way that decides to go. So here's here's what I say to them when they, when they accuse me of compromising. All three things you said I would change, I've changed none of them. Mm. So now those same men are backing off and saying, well, he hasn't changed yet. He's just drifting and going that way. Mm. But in their hearts, and this is what bothers me, Brother Kabat, when the microphones are off and the stage is dark, they take me in the back room and say, wish to God I had the guts to do this. I just don't know how to get by with it. Mm. Now, I'm talking hundreds of men. They are scared to death because this movement, it it, it functions on fear and control. They got 
to control you. And they do it with fear. Oh, brother, if you preach for that guy, all these guys are going to drop you. They'll never use you again. Well, next thing you know, you're afraid to go anywhere unless they put their approval on it. You know I'm a little different, and you can edit this out, whichever you want. I tell them to kiss my asphalt driveway (laughs) because I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to preach for who I want to preach. And if they don't agree with it, they're not going anyway. They've not been asked to go. I have. Mm. So when they tell me I'm a compromiser, here's what bothers me, brother. Every one of those men that are saying that, I live cleaner than every one of those men twisted together in my own personal life. Hmm. But I give grace to people when they get saved that they don't know everything the first week they've been converted. Hmm. So I don't try to push 42 years of my experience with God on a convert that's only been saved a month. That's unfair. And we've lost a whole generation of people doing that nonsense right right. there. Wow. So that's why they call me a compromiser because I give grace and growth to people. That's good. That ain't getting edited out by the way. Yeah. That's good. I like you, man. (laughs) So let me ask you this question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just wait. You want to tell him the story now? Go ahead, Brian. (laughs) Just wait. Oh, All right. So the question I want to ask is, so we're talking about the IFB and we're talking about how you're no longer IFB. By the way, I I still hear you, you know, on IFB preacher clips. And I know you no longer have Baptist on the sign. I think your preaching is still a lot like the independent fundamental Baptist preacher in your style and your voice and all of that. And of course, I mean, that'd be a lot different than me. It would be different than me, even if I were still independent fundamental Baptist, there's no way I could do what you do or preach like you preach, but which beliefs specifically, which practices specifically associated with the IFB have you moved away from or changed your thinking on? Man, these are good questions, guys. These are great. One of the things I, I refuse to manipulate my people psychologically with fear and control the biggest problem I have with pastors of all age brackets in the independent movement, they got to be in control of every aspect of every member's lives. Now, this is the truth. I have heard independent Baptist preachers tell families in their church, I've been praying and God told me to tell you to have another kid. Or God told me to tell you to buy a car. What? Or, or God told God didn't give me liberty for you to buy that house, you and your wife. Are. Now, look, I've heard this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I don't say anything because it's none of my business. But then I get with a preacher by myself and I said, look, man, if you lost your mind, you're going to go crazy following these people around doing every aspect of their life. So I decided when I took the church, I'm going to pastor that church. I got a comfort zone that they respect at my church. But what they do outside of that church, I'm not running around with video cameras, making sure that they do everything exactly right. The Holy Ghost has to get a hold of them like he got a hold of me. And when he does it, it'll be done right and it'll be balanced. So the control factor is what really was the straw that broke the camel's back. Look, I'm a psychologist. I have counseled untold thousands of independent Baptists that are nervous wrecks. You know how you know the high percentage of Baptist preachers that are on medicine for their nerves mm. because of all the pressure, the anxiety and the control that goes on and they've got to know everything about all of their people and they got to put their approval on it. See, or the people can't move. They can't breathe. So these people are suffocating to death 
And, and it's a hair away from being a cult, just to tell you the truth. And some have crossed over that line and they are cults, just to be honest with you. So I've decided I'm going to pastor. I'm going to preach that book. That's what I'm going to be accountable for. I am not going to be accountable for what they do in their personal life. That's between them and Jesus. I'm going to tell them the truth. Then they're going to answer to God. Now, when, when you find that balance, you have liberty to preach. And then you close your Bible and go home and say, I gave it my best. Mm. I hope they'll listen to what I say. But independents have to control you. Yeah. And trust me, I don't know how deep we want to go in this control thing. But let me give you this, Brother Edwards. When I took the church, not one of these guys that hate me in the fundamental movement, not one of them has ever dialed my phone number. Mm. Not one of They know better. They know I'm not afraid of them. They know I'm not intimidated by them. Now, they'll go everywhere else and call my name. They have never dialed my phone number. Hmm. They don't have the guts to dial. Hmm. They're so gutless. If they hit if, if they hit a windshield, they couldn't even make a splat. <laughs> they have no guts. They're gutless, but they're, they're but they're mean in the pulpit because they're insecure. Hmm. That's their that's their baby blanket Woo. there. And so, but they have never called me personally. So here's what they do to attack me now. Okay. So they know better than to call me because it doesn't matter. So here's what they do. They call you and say, Brother Edwards, I heard you're preaching for Brother Kid. Just want you to know, if you preach for Brother Kid, it's going to hurt you. Hmm. Second of all, if you preach for Brother Kid, I can't have you back in my pulpit. And third of all, a bunch of my friends have agreed with me. None of us are going to have you back hmm. if you preach for Brother Kid because they can't control me. So they start controlling the men that are coming in. Now, here's what broke my heart, Brother Groves, and this is when I said, I'm done. I had preached with a man together in meetings all over this country for probably 15, 20 years. We have been together in camp meetings, conferences, you name it, 15 or 20 years. He called me one day. He's in Asheville. He's crying so hard, he can't even talk to me on the phone. He said, man, can you get to Asheville? I'm hurting so bad, I got to talk to you. I thought something was wrong. He's been my friend. I jumped in my car, dropped everything, ran to Asheville. Uh, you got to talk about long-term friends now. We sat down in the restaurant. He said, brother kid, I'm going to have to cancel preaching for you. I said, okay, what's the problem? This is a quote. I can't afford to preach for you. He said, I, I've got too many men that told me I can never come back again to their church or their camp meetings if I preach for you. So I cannot afford to preach for you. It was a money thing. Mm. His whole decision was not on principle. Because I, I'll tell you what, I'd have told those men if they called me and tried telling me where to go, <laughs> the asphalt driveway thing would come in again. <laughs> but did you know that man canceled me mm. and, and, and told me, he said, I wish I could financially afford to still preach for you. Another one was having a meeting down the road and they were giving him big money. And he's a young guy and I was helping him get on his feet, trying to teach him about the spirit of God and being led. And one of the prerequisites that church down the road put on him before he signed a big money deal with them was he had the promise he would never preach for me. And I had helped this guy from the get go. Mm. And he signed off and took that big amount of money with the, with the promise that he would never preach in my pulpit again. So this is how these guys attack you. If they can't get you, they will get the people that's coming to preach for you. Mm. And then they get all their buddies to drop you because you, Brother Vet said it right. You're in this bubble. So if you get out of the bubble, everybody denounces he's a heretic. He's going to the left. He's a compromiser. None of those men live as clean as I do. Matter of fact, for all you IFBs that are listening tonight, listen to me. 
until you get rid of your little Bermuda shorts and your flip flops, you know, you guys in your little Bermuda shorts, you look like a two socks full of doorknobs and you walk out across in public, you know, you need to get some clothes on. You can't even get your wife out of her skinny jeans. And you're going to tell me that I'm compromising. You know, are you out of your ever loving mind? And this is the way these guys live, see, mm. but they're in the bubble. So it's okay. So I jumped out of the bubble and I said, you're not controlling me. Mm. So I don't even have IFB men in my church to preach for me anymore. Pastor Paul comes. My people love him. Uh, Brother Carter did come and we're going to have him back. They love him. But it is a control thing. And I'm telling you, psychologically, it will drive you out of your mind. Mm. And uh, that's one of the hardest things and the last things that made me decide I am getting out of this mess. Does that go back to the video that you made talking about the sermon that uh, either got you kicked out or helped you walk out about uh, IFE preachers trying to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives? Yes, it's a message entitled Distinguishing Lordship from Leadership. That's it. It was in 1997. I was a young man. I seen this stuff coming on. I was at a big camp meeting, probably 1,600 people filled with young preachers. I said, look, you know what? I can say some things to them now that can stop this nonsense when the old timers die off. So I tackled it. And and, then trust me, I'm talking tackled it. The problem was the man that pastored the church where I tackled it was the biggest Pope of all of them. Oh man. He was the untouchable See, He was it. Everybody, you know, kissed his ring and bowed to his feet. Well, it was in his very pulpit. And I told him after service, I said, I'll never preach here again because you're all crazy. Hmm. You are all out of your ever loving mind. (laughs) And I said, you've got to get your hands out of these people's lives and let them enjoy the Liberty that they have in Christ. And so I lost probably 18 revivals when all that was said and done, maybe 18 or 20 revivals at one time. But God just kept opening up doors and proving to me, you don't need them. You need me. Yeah. You don't need meetings. You need God. Mm-hmm. I don't need meetings or money. I need God. And God took care of every bit of that. And I'm still booked years ahead. And God has opened up so many great doors for me. But I would encourage these young evangelists, don't get in no camp. Don't jump in anybody's basket. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, the Bible said there's 12 baskets full. Isn't that amazing? Every disciple got a basket. I don't have to jump in your basket. Mm. I got my own I can jump in. And that is something the independents cannot and they will not tolerate. And they're not going to change, by the way. That thing is dying so fast. The independent movement is dying a very slow ventilation death. Mm. And I just beat them to the punch. I didn't have to get out of them. They got out of me. Because I preach on these very questions that you guys are bringing up. And by the way, I wish to God somebody had asked these 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. When Paul was on here, he talked about how loyalty was so important to you. And that was something that that I really admire and respect. So I know you're not scared of these guys. You're not intimidated by these guys. And I genuinely believe you when you say that you don't need them. But I've been betrayed before. I've been hurt before. Talk about what that feels like, because if you value loyalty over everything, uh, what is that like getting dropped by everybody you've known for the last 42 years? And, that, and that's exactly what happens, man. You guys are awesome. <laughs> you, you got these relationships and you think, you know what, this thing's solid. We're going to be friends till we die. And then all of a sudden you get a letter saying, look, brother, I'm praying for you, but we're going to have to put distance between you. Uh, for instance, I was preaching a tent meeting in Detroit, Michigan. And the evangelists will watch this or listen to this. So 
Uh, glad you tuned in, big boy. Um, <laughs> Let's say we, his we, name. We don't care. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> we had been together about 15 years in this tent meeting. So uh, one of the big organizations in the independent movement told him he couldn't preach with me anymore. So instead of being a man about it and just saying, you know, I don't like Brother Kid, I'm not coming, my friends won't let me, he calls the pastor and said, man, I'm so sorry, I double booked that week. We've been doing it for 15 years together. So the pastor went right to his website and got on his, got on his itinerary. He wasn't even booked that week. Hmm. So the pastor called him and said, man, you lied to me. You're not even booked. He said, I'm sorry, man, I owe Brother Kid an apology. I owe you an apology. He said, man, they've just put so much pressure on me, I can't handle it. And he's a good-for-nothing flea bag. There's nothing to him. He's as fake as a $3 bill. And I've called him out on so much stuff, you know. And uh, But he has never apologized to that pastor. He's never apologized to me. And I don't know how anybody can be right with God, you know, and, and this stuff going on in their in their life and, and in their ministry as well. And here's another thing they do, brother, that just, it just blows my mind. They'll take colleges that are out of business. I'm talking about independent schools that don't even exist anymore. They put a printing press in a Sunday school room, and they give out <laughs> doctor's degrees like toilet paper during uh, yes, COVID-19. <laughs> and, you know, these guys are 21 years old. They still got diaper rash and went to bed on Fridays, and they got a doctor's degree. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? But see, the same crowd that gives them those degrees, they turn around and book these guys for meetings. So this guy's keeping his meetings up by rolling out these doctor's degrees and giving them to guys that do not have one. And by the way, this blows my mind. The guy giving them out does not have one day of formal education under his belt. Not one day. And he's giving out doctor's degrees to kids that are 21 years old. And, but see, he'll control them from now on because of that degree thing. So, you know, when they drop me, here's what I always told my kids, Brother Kavat. They saw enough to make them so bitter. One man said to me, if I was Phil Kid's child, I'd probably be a bomb carrying Muslim because I've seen so much. My kids have seen so much fake and phony. My daughter said at a woman's conference not long ago with tears running down her face. She said, I can't remember one day of my life that somebody didn't say something bad about my daddy, but all four of my kids are in church. Both my sons are preachers. Mm. How does that happen? I taught them. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You look at people, they're going to hurt you. You keep your eyes on the Lord. He'll never let you down. So I had to practice that in my life. When those guys cut my throat, my children were up old enough. They knew what they did to me. I didn't hide it from them. But I said this, I'm not doing it for them anyway. So let them go. If they were a true friend, we would be friends forever. I, it's a, no better time to find out than now. And I'm a loner in my personality anyway, so I don't give a good glory flip, <laughs> you know, whether they come around or not, just to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. To go to uh, Nathan a little bit on the loyalty over conformity. Um, the reason why I said that kind of goes back to what my dad mentioned when it came to being yourself. If you're going to want to be yourself, you have to also give that space for other people to yeah. be themselves. So when you do that, conformity can't be done at that point when you're trying to be yourself, giving other people space. And, and just for the record, one of my dad's best friends, and Nathan are like this, one of his very best friends for years and years uh, is, is a hyper-Calvinist. I'm talking about almost fatalist 
Calvinist and dad and him and my dad, I'd say straight up, that's, that's not, we're not reformed in, in any way. I promise you. I might be deformed, but I'm not. <laughs> um, that's never been anything in our calculus, but him and dad have been friends for since I was born, maybe even before I was even born. They never have a crossword. They laugh together. They love each other. And they're on total different Armenian versus Calvinistic mm. <laughs> doctrinal separations. But dad has never made that a part of the calculus of how you're a friend. He knows that's who he is. And that's okay. As long as you don't let that become between me and you. Yeah. Well, I, I just have to be honest. We said this on your episode, Paul, and I want to say it again, that there's a lot we've learned about Phil that it's amazing to me how much we have in common. It's amazing to me how many wow. things, and I wouldn't have thought that. I, I never right. would have dreamed that before your interview, just watching the little clips and, and the sermons that I had seen and some of the things on YouTube. So there's a lot of things that we're different, but there's a lot of things that we do agree on, and I, I appreciate being able to talk about that. But I told Paul uh, when we were interviewing him, Brother Phil, that you're a big boy. If there's anything I know about you, you're you're a big boy. You can dish it out and you can take it. So maybe we can move here into part of this where we can talk about some of the issues that we have with some things you've done, some rhetoric, some different things like that, and let you talk through that with us and our listeners. A lot of our listeners have reached out to us this week and said, man, don't let him get off easy. We know you guys don't want to bash people, but don't just be nice and don't ask the hard questions. I said, we want to ask the hard questions and we think he can take it. So can we go there? I don't care what you do. It ain't my broadcast. (laughs) (laughs) Let me, let me start this off. I think you've already answered the first question I was going to ask. And that was just about the tone of how you preach. It seems angry. You're screaming at people, calling people idiots and kind of insinuating that you, you know, they're here and you're kind of here, but I think you already addressed that. that That's just who you are. That's your communication style, the humor, the things like that. So I want to move past that. Well, let's talk about that for just okay, a second. Okay, yeah, let's let's jump let, on let's there. Let's do it. Let's do it for just a second. I think it was you. I, I I really didn't know your voices when Pastor Paul did the broadcast. But one of you is talking about your wife come out of a Wesleyan type background. Yeah, that or was brethren or something. I can't remember. Nazarene. Yes. Well, you know, when you take a woman, no matter what her age limit is, and you take her out of that sophisticated surrounding, and you put her in a camp meeting. I mean, you can almost expect an erratic heartbeat because, (laughs) I mean, really, are you kidding me? Why would you even do that to your wife? How could you say you love her? I told you I was at a camp meeting. I told you I was raised in that bubble. I didn't know there was anything wrong with it. I didn't know. I didn't even know the preacher was yelling. That was that was preaching to me. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I just I can imagine what went through her mind, man. She probably is afraid of getting shot or stabbed. Uh, I could understand that, but again, it goes back to individuality. Now, I have men in my pulpit that don't raise their voice, and my people love them. Mm-hmm. But there's something about my annex that even people that hate me cannot stay away from me. For instance, <laughs> look at you guys. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you guys would never say what I say. You wouldn't say it in private, much less in your pulpit. But yet you're calling me, wanting me to come on your broadcast. Hey, Brian Edwards has been so excited. He couldn't even sleep last night. He was so excited. I love Brother Brian. He's precious. I love his daddy and all of his family. They're, they're true blues. They've been through the stuff and stayed with it. I know that. For Amen. Yeah. But... But but can you guys give me a little breathing space to just be me? I mean, Please. is that okay? 
because fair enough. You know, I don't deliver like you guys. I'm not going to wear skinny jeans, <laughs> you know, and flip flops and Starbucks. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and if you guys could see like I see you, you wouldn't do that either. <laughs> by the way, by the way, they shouldn't even make skinny jeans in my size, so I don't wear those. <laughs> and uh, and I've seen and Brian's I, toenails. You don't want to see those flip flops either. <laughs> no, no, you've never seen my, you've never seen my toenails because. I always wear socks, even in the house, and shoes. Me too, and I, brother. I have Edward. serious issues with men's feet, but <laughs> me too, brother. And, and flip flops. I'm on my feet when I get out of bed. I agree. Yes, sir. So here's here's what I would say, just in follow up to that. Do you believe that you preach like you preach, in the tone and the style, with all of the rhetoric, because in some way you're addicted to the reaction? Because there's gratification and immediate reaction. And, you know, when I see these clips on, um, on you know, Twitter, by the way, I'm not IFB preacher clips, but when I, I see, is, so. well, <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's a, an anonymous account on Twitter okay. and they have a lot of your preaching clips on there. Well, that's free it's, advertisement. Well, it's obvious that you have people in your congregation who basically give you a standing ovation after every statement. And it's obvious, you know, I grew up in camp meetings and the louder people shout, the harder you preach. And that's every preacher. My dad would do the same thing. So on some level, is there an addiction to the reaction? Well, if you would listen to what I preached this past Sunday, there was no shouting. (laughs) I was the only one clapping and it didn't affect me at all. I'm not hooked on the Southern drawl of somebody's got to be barking back at me. A lot of a lot of Southern preachers are that way, but I preach so much controversy that I'm used to people being very still and even pale, so I don't have to have the feedback. But when you hear my people very energetic, you got to understand, and you would know this, brother Edwards, if you ever came to my church. I don't have a normal church. If you don't have tattoos, been stabbed, shot, abortion, locked up, divorced. You can't join our church. We, we, we reject normal people. I've never had people join my church that were married. Everybody was shacking up. These people had been on the bottom. They'd been to federal prison for 16 years. One of the men you heard that shouts the loudest spent 16 years in federal prison. I want him to God. And he just comes by and pulls the weeds out of the church and cries. So these people came from nothing. They didn't have jobs. They didn't have money. My my main trustee and treasurer and and usher didn't have a change of clothes when I wanted to God and had a 21 inch ponytail down his back. Well, all you got to say to a man like that is Jesus saves and he's on his feet. I don't have to cheerlead that on. I don't have to do that. Now, you and I both have been in meetings where they knew when to shout, how to shout. Mm-hmm. And those men knew what to say to make them shout, by the way. I agree. It was a two way street. But this church, 85% of my church is new converts. And, you know, when you first get saved, you know how it is, brother. You can open the Bible and 14 people hit their feet and screaming glory to God. I ain't said anything yet. (laughs) So I got a bunch of young babes. I got a nursery, basically, more than a church. But the accolades is just my personality. It just... It just comes out of me. It's nothing I plan. I don't write that stuff down. It's not in my outline. Oh, that's obvious. Here. <laughs> you know, it's just off the top of my head. And, and you, you can't write that stuff down and say it that fast anyway. <laughs> no. How, I, how old I, I, are you? I'm 61. 
it amazes me. I told Paul this. It amazes me that your mind works as quickly as it does. And I mean, you're, I mean, you're just wrapping all that off and never looking at a note. And me, if I don't make a note, um, you know, I can't remember anything. I, I'm an equal opportunity forgetter. I forget anything, everything, and everybody. <laughs> but, and, but, you know, people ask me all the time, why do you have to say stupid, crazy, idiot, whore, fag, uh, slut, you know, and that's just Sunday morning service. <laughs> you know, why do you have to add all those adjectives and that to, to be effective? I get asked that constantly because it's not everybody's comfort zone. Some people get offended at that stuff. My people love it because they were whores and fags and losers and sluts. So they're not on, they're not edgy like people in the bubble. But did John really, I mean, seriously, brother Gross, did he have to call them snakes that day? I mean, when, when he went out to the Jordan, why didn't he say, look, you guys bring forth some stuff for repentance. Why do you have to say snakes? Did Jesus really have to tell Pilate, you know, you're a freaking fox, Herod? I mean, what? I mean, did he really have to put that in there? Did Jeremiah in chapter 50 really have to look at Israel and said, you're just like a bunch of fat heifers and bellowing bulls? See, were those words really necessary to get the message out? And we can all probably in our personalities think of things we say off the cuff, that maybe would offend somebody. Let me give you an illustration of something you guys did that is offensive. You have no idea. Brother uh, Edwards was somewhere a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, on vacation or gone, probably on the beach with his shorts and flip-flops and all that. But <laughs> anyway, he came back. You remember Brother Covetti came back, and this is what he said. He said, man, I go off for a week and I come back, and I'm quoting, you guys treat me like a redheaded stepchild. Yep. You remember, you remember saying that? Yeah, I did. I flew in last August on a Thursday, got in my automobile, drove to a tent meeting, preached there Friday night. The lady met me at my tape table and said, uh, I, I don't know if we're going to stay tonight or not. I said, well, what's wrong? She said, these are my four kids. They're all redheaded. And they're, my, <laughs> they're my stepchildren. And the man preaching this morning said, I'm tired of getting treated like a redheaded stepchild because my church isn't as big as yours. Wow. And she said, I am so offended that he related being rejected to being redheaded that I don't think my kids can stay tonight. Wow. But see, that never crossed your mind. No, it didn't. See, I had a preacher say one time, and, and what's the odds of this happening? He said, I'd say this if it hair lit the devil. And there was a woman sitting there with a hair lip. I've heard that my whole life. Yep. Okay. He, I'm, I'm positive the man didn't mean anything by it, and I'm positive he didn't know she was there with it. So what I'm saying is I think all of us have accolades that if we really pinned ourselves down, that would be offensive to somebody in some realm. Would you agree with that? Yes. But but what would you say to my daughters? So the other day I'm scrolling through Twitter. I don't usually do that when they're around, and you were preaching about – um, a woman trying to take the microphone and, and I think you made the comment, you said something like this. You said, um, they're not, they're not fussing over the mop, but they're fussing over the microphone. And then you said something about the way they're dressed. And then, you know, used a couple of, uh, descriptive terms. And my daughter asked me the question. She said, daddy, why, why would he say those things like that? And I know you're the father of daughters. 
too. Right. So I know you love your daughters. I've heard that. I've heard how defensive you are over your daughters. Absolutely. But I think people from the outside hear that and they really don't know how to reconcile that. So what would you say with regard to that? Oh, I remember that distinctly. And here's why 90% of the problems you have in your church will come from the backside of the microphone. It'll be a singing group, somebody somewhere musical. Mm -hmm. It'll, it'll come down through the chain. And what had happened is we had a woman that I found out was a whore that was singing in on our praise team. And so I set her down. We don't let whore sing. She can be a whore and come to church. You just can't sing in our church. And so she was fighting over a microphone, but she had never lifted a finger to ever work in a fellowship hall, bring something to eat, clean up when it was over with. So I made the statement. I've seen a lot of these huzzies fight over a microphone, but they'll never fight over a mop. That was the context of that. And the reason why I was using those words was because we just had to publicly deal with her as a whore. And I was trying to get her right with God, which she did, by the way. And she's back in our church doing fine. Great lady. I have nothing bad to say about her. But at that time, she just needed jacked up and somebody to get in her grill. Now, street people are that way. See, your wife, your daughter don't understand because of her raising. You've loved them. You've sheltered them. And you should. But you understand, I'm dealing with people, brother, that have been on the bottom. So when you hear my services, you, you would say, I would never say that in my pulpit. I wouldn't expect you to, but you're not pastoring the kind of people I'm pastoring. And so, again, that's where I go back to brother Covet that we have to, you got to give a man space to exercise his ministry in his comfort zone. And I'm sorry that your daughter felt that way, but if she was a little older and she knew the concept of what was going on in my church at that time, then she would have understand why I said it like I did. So what about the context that's not in your church? Because we, we've heard you preaching many times. I'll, I'll tell you an example. Uh, years ago, uh, you you actually gave us a very good life example. I had a, a youth—I was the youth pastor at a brand-new church, and uh, there was a young girl, 15 years old, was pregnant. And I welcomed her. I didn't know who she was. About two minutes later, she come walking out, crying, said, I'm not allowed to be here. And I went in and asked that youth leader, why did you kick her out? He said, she's a bad influence on all these teenagers and that, you know, she's a hussy and all this. That girl never came back to youth group. So I told the guy, I said, hey, I want you to show up tomorrow, wear a pair of shorts, flip flops and a t-shirt. We're going to go somewhere. And uh, so we showed up at Faith Baptist Bible Camp and you were preaching that night. And so we're standing there. Nobody shook our hands. People looked us up and down. You know, we didn't have our, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't fit the part at all. And there was in the sermon that you're preaching, you're calling a lady a whore because she was in a in the house of God in a pair of pants, and and that she got up and left that service. And you know, I th- I don't know if it was the night before that, it was during that camp meeting that that whore was in the house of God, and she was filling the flames. Of, you said these words: she was filling the flames of hell so hot that that whore got up and left the house of God under conviction, and and everybody screamed and shouted and stuff. And I looked at the guy and I said, "Do you know why I brought you here tonight?" He said, "Man, I figured it out." And I was like, let's go. I can't handle this anymore. We got up to leave. And you said from the pulpit, said, looks like I'm preaching two fags out of the service right now. And as I got to the back wall, I turned around. I said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I said, this fag and that fag, we're out of here. And we took off going. And I remember that to this day. And, and I hope Lee's listening because, you know, this is an opportunity here. But we got into that car and we drove down the road. Dude shaking. He was like, man, I feel so bad right now. And I was like, how do you think that 15-year-old girl that, yes, she made a mistake. Her mistake was very present. Everybody can see it, but you got called out in front of two, three, four hundred people, however many were there, got called a fag from the pulpit. 
how did that make you feel? And he's like, I feel horrible. And he's like, well, I left my keys on the pew. And so he ran in the exit door and then ran back out real quick when we pulled up. I mean, that boy was running. His little arms were going. But that, that, was, a, that was a memory of, from you. You know, I, I'm not a fag, but that was something that was said of me because I was in shorts, T-shirts, and flip-flops leaving Faith Baptist Bible Camp. I don't even remember what year it was years ago. But So what about the people that aren't in your church? that get called that or hear those references and things that it has nothing to do with it. All right, let me let me ask you this, and you, you don't have to hit on that one thing, but are there things that you regret that maybe you've said or done or acted that at this point in your ministry that you regret? You look back, because Brian, Nathan, and I, we all look back, and there's things that we regret that we've said that we've done. I'm just curious, is there anything that Phil Kidd has done or said that he regrets? Well, first of all, let me address the Faith Baptist Camp. I will give you $2,500 cash and $100 bills if you will present that message to me because that did not happen. I have looked so, for the videotape. Yeah, find it for me. I'll do it. Uh, I've never pointed at a girl and said, you're a whore because you got pants on. My mother my mother wore pants, so you're going to call my mother a whore. So I would be totally counterdicting everything I believe. Uh, my sisters wore pants or do wear pants and they're not whores. Both my daughters wear pants now and they're not whores. I have never pointed a woman out and said, because you got a big, because the meanest women I ever met in my life wear dresses. <laughs> <laughs> meanest women I ever met in my life. They look like mud flaps off a tractor trailer. They drag the ground, <laughs> but son, they got a tongue. It'll reach from here to Birmingham, Alabama. Now, have I been misunderstood? Absolutely. And I understand in the fervency of my preaching, there may be some that get offended. There may be some that get offended under your preaching. That's why God uses different men. That's why I refuse to even let you rob me of me. For instance, Herod, the Bible said, went and heard John gladly. You know what your Bible said? That meant he was excited to hear John the Baptist. He cuts John's head off and here comes Jesus. And Jesus is preaching, and Herod said, well, what's that guy preaching sound like? And they explained it, and he said, oh, no, John's risen from the dead. Do you know how many times Herod went to hear Jesus preach? None. Never is it recorded. But he, but he heard John gladly, which shows me God uses different men to reach different people. That is just the way it is set up, fellas. And I'm not going to make anybody get in my zone and say, look, if you don't cuss or point somebody out or call them a whore, you can't preach for me. I want those men to be themselves. That's why I brought them in there. You preach just like you would anywhere else. I want you to be you. But I got to have that same. I have been accused. Brother, I've had people say that I have stood people up in a congregation and said, I can tell by looking at you, you're a whore. Get out of here. I offered $10,000 for that. He said, I got the cassette at home. I said, I'll give you $10,000. And trust me, I got $10,000. I said, I will give you $10,000 in $100 bills if you'll bring me, keep the original, you run me a copy of that cassette. And he's never done it. So a lot of this stuff is just stuff people have. My son and I was talking about this today. All my life, I heard that Billy Sunday said, all you women close your legs. Now we're getting ready to have church and we don't want the gates of hell opened up. Nowhere has that ever been in print that Billy Sunday ever said that, ever. But to this very day, he gets accused of saying that. So I love individuality. Would I come across too strong for people? 
I'm sure there's a group of people that would never sit under my ministry. I am very positive of that. But I know a group of people that would never sit under your ministry. Right. So let God use you and let him use me. But if Brother Groves or whoever it was he was talking about took it that way, I surely apologize because I've never done that as an individual. Could you set the record straight? Were you asked to not come back to Faith Baptist Bible Camp because of your language? No, sir. Okay. Never. I preached there more than any three men that's ever lived. When I went to Faith Baptist Camp, Dr. Allen's like my daddy to this day, by the way. We've never had a crossword. That place would pack out when I preached there. I'm talking literally the place would overflow if they knew I was coming. I went to Brother Allen. I said, I'm going to preach tonight. It's my last message. I love you more than life, but I'm not coming back. And he said, why? I said, you will know after I get done preaching tonight. In front of a crowd, Brother Cabet, you remember, they had that big pasture out beside the metal bill. All of that was packed. You could not get in the place. And I preached that night on the consequences of covering the sin of others. And I preached how the independent movement has covered so much corruption that there is no way God could bless this mess. And there was a man leaning up against the back wall. And so many people were getting up and leaving. I asked him to count how many people left. And 89 people got up and walked out that night. Mm. And most of them were preachers, by the way, because I was exposing the fact that if you're in that bubble that you talked about, you can get by with just about anything, brother. Mm-hmm. And I told Brother Allen, I said, I'll never be back because I cannot handle what these men are allowing to go on and covering for it while it's going on. So that's why I never went back to Brother Allen's. Thank and you. Only one thing I did want to correct with Pastor Paul was the first time he preached at my church, he did preach down in the front and not in the pulpit. But the reason being is it was a men's prayer meeting and we had all the men move to the side hmm. and we had a podium in front. I preached from that same podium the month before and preached at that podium the month after. Did he have Bermuda shorts on? <laughs> no, sir. I, I would have remembered that. <laughs> By the way, it's cool to hear you correct that because, you know, I, I appreciate Paul and his courage. And He's a preacher, man. He is. And I really appreciate him and, and think the world of him. And he and I have had conversations in the past. and They've always been great conversations. and We have mutual friends. But I was actually told that because of the changes in Paul's ministry that you wouldn't allow him to preach on the platform. So to hear you give the reverse side of that or the explanation of that, that's how things get straightened out. And, you know, people say all kinds of things about me. Um, You know, I was talking to the guys here. You know, one of the writers of the Sword of the Lord called me Judas. And, um, I mean, I thought he he committed suicide. I didn't even know. (laughs) I guess they believe in reincarnation. But, um, you know, I've had people say all kinds of things about me, and I, I know what that's like. And so... You know, I was just mentioning that to Paul. Was that the case? And it's it's good to hear that full story. Uh, but, but, could you imagine how he would have felt as my son if I'd have said, "Look, I want you to come speak, but you're not good enough to be in my pulpit. Hmm. You'll have to speak down in front, you know, on a podium." If I was Pastor Paul, I wouldn't have come under those circumstances. And he has been in my pulpit many a time. It's all on Facebook. My people love him. If I announce he's coming, they tear the house down. Hmm. I mean, they love this guy. And we disagree, brother. We disagree. Nothing doctrinally. Pastor Paul knows that book. His music is ridiculous. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, man, it'll make a turkey go into a seizure. And, and you know, it's just, but he's brought in Brother Mark, and Brother Mark has brought that thing together and toned it down and just has good balance. You know, I, we sing songs Pastor Paul's not going to have. He sings songs we're not going to have. But, man, the bottom line is we both love Jesus. We love the gospel. We believe the Bible. And when we get together, brother, all we talk about is God and the Bible. I mean, that's our lives. Mm, that's cool. And, you know, I told Pastor Paul, I said, when I die, I don't ever want you to have to bow your head because you were my son. I don't ever want to do anything that would embarrass you or make you ashamed to be called Phil Kidd's son. And I've tried to live by that all these years. But Pastor Paul has been a lot better son than I was a dad. Hmm. Wow. So, so you let him preach. You let him preach on the platform, but did you broadcast it on Roku? I broadcasted around the world <laughs> and told them to kiss my asphalt driveway. They didn't like it. Yes. I put it on Facebook live stream. You want me to go through the list again? <laughs> oh. Okay, man. What's next? One of, one of the things I, I have to say, I haven't been your biggest fan in the past, and You're I've got family members. That, <laughs> I've got family members that absolutely love you and have followed you around and gone to your meetings. and And as a matter of fact, they introduced me to you, even though I knew you as like a five year old boy at Mac Ford's camp meeting, and you came to the my yes. dad's boys' yes, home. Yes, I remember your dad. It, yeah, and you actually uh, were at faith camp. I never, I never met you and talked to you like I did a lot of the big names in the IFB. A lot of those guys came and stayed at the boys' home all the time and yes. things like that. But one of the things I've always respected about you and that I'd, I would always say about you is that Phil Kidd loves sinners. He absolutely. absolutely loves sinners. He loves the outsider, which this is one of the things about you that I've always thought was kind of like a, a paradox. You're, you're like a paradox wrapped, wrapped in an enigma. And, right. you know, nobody understands you, knows where you're coming from. But, you know, you'll stand in the in the pulpit and yell about horrors or fags or, or whatever. But then you'll go out in the gutter and get down with them in, you know, in their own vomit and put your arm around them and tell them about Jesus and take a picture with them when they get saved. And I'm, I'm picking up a street bum Sunday. So, I met today on the side of the road in Johnson City. I got is where he's staying under a bridge. And he, he's living in a sewer, and I'm going to pick him up Sunday to take him to my church. I saw a Have picture a, a couple of weeks ago where you had some people that you invited out of a bar, some bikers and things like that. Yes. And they came in, a bunch of them got saved. And so I know that's who you are, but you've got to admit it's confusing for people like me and some other people who don't have the same background or whatever that, that hear you talking about women who are made in God's image and bear God's image, but have fallen into sin or have chosen a sinful lifestyle, or as Lois said on our last episode, that they were just deceived by the devil. And she sure. said, she said, they're not whores. That's not their identity. They were deceived. They've believed a lie and God wants to save them. And, you know, you'll, you'll call them those names from the pulpit, but I know the real Phil kid will get down on his knees and share the gospel with him and, and tell him Jesus loves him. So can you talk us through that a little bit? Sure. I got several streetwalkers in my church and they love me to death. And we were the only church that would even let them come in the building because of their reputation. But, you know, first of all, whore is a Bible word. So I don't want to, I don't want to just throw that word out and say, you it's can't a, use it. it's a King James Bible word. Now, don't get me on that, brother. Edwards. 
I'm going to get on your flip flops and shorts again. You leave my King James Bible alone. Leave it alone. That other stuff you guys read leaves out a lot of good stuff. But uh, here's the thing about it. Sometimes, even in my life, not everybody's, Brother Kavat, not everybody's, I needed to know how far gone I was. For instance, you know, I, I preached to the drunkard, but I got a 78-year-old drunkard that got saved in my church, drank a fifth a day, got saved when he was 74. He's like my dad now. And nobody wanted him. And we want him to Jesus, and he's, he's I love him like my daddy. So sometimes I needed to be confronted on how far gone I was. And when that man that got saved off the streets preached that night, he showed me the awfulness of my depravity. Hmm. So, yes, there are going to be some that will say, you know, that's a little over the edge. I'm uncomfortable with that. I can get that. But I also see that prostitute sitting out there saying, you know what? This is a sin against God. I'm filthy. Hmm. This sin has wrecked me. I need to be reconciled because if you go to where you don't use terminology, you're going to quit preaching against drunkards. You're going to quit preaching against sodomy. Next thing you know, you're not, it's like you guys, you don't preach against anything. You just, anything goes and you can't, we can't go that route either. But again, that's where individuality comes in. Well, in John eight, when they brought the woman to Jesus, she was caught in the act of adultery. Did Jesus have to call her crude words to be able to say to her, go and sin no more? Absolutely not. And I'm not saying everybody does. I'm not saying that, brother. I'm not saying everybody has to preach a delivery like mine. I wouldn't imply that at all. But you you got to understand, Jesus never took John out and said, look, John, next time you preach to the Pharisees, please don't use the word snake did you really have to call them a snake before they knew they needed to repent? So see, we could all dissect each other. But again, I feel like you're smothering me saying I can only use the words you like. See, and and I'm going to kick out of the traces. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be me. I mean, I've been doing this for 42 years, fellas. I, I, there's, I've never been with a, another woman. I've never been accused of money or immorality or doing anything unethical in my life. As a I Christian. do agree with that. I've lived clean and I've been the example. My son's sitting here beside you. I've never done anything that would make him disrespect me or think I was loose or liberal or didn't love God. You could question my son anytime you want. I have nothing to hide. Hmm. But just because I'm different doesn't mean I'm limiting my outreach. Because when I hear you guys, it's like you guys are saying, you know, if you'd leave these words alone, your ministry would expand. Well, how do you know that? You don't know that. I may not even be where I'm at right now had I not been the field kid God wanted me to be. I think one of the best things, Brother Edwards, is for people to know where I came from. If you lived in that ghetto, I lived next door to a beer joint my whole life. I never had a Bible. I never heard of God. So things that would offend church bubble people are just naturally common to me. Mm. For instance, I get guys like you and they say, well, my little girl heard you say that and it really upset them. Well, listen, my little girls heard me say it for 25 years before they got married. They're in church. They love God. They believe the Bible. They love their daddy. So see, being blunt didn't run them off. Both my boys are in the ministry. Now, I promise you, Pastor Paul, 
is not going to get up Sunday and say, all right, you bunch of whores and fags, open up your Bible. Yeah, he's not doing that. Well, speaking on that, I'm interested. There are a lot of guys that listen to this podcast who are Phil Kid wannabes. They will preach the same way that you do. They will say the same words they do. And it may not mean what you're wanting it to, and you're saying it to it. That's good. What would you say to the guys that are trying to be you and using the words they are, and they're meaning it in a hateful way? What would you say to them? Oh, man, that is a good question, brother. Thank you for bringing that up. Man, that's awesome. First of all, this is what Dr. Seidler taught me. I was 19 when I got under his ministry, and he loved me like his son. I have more revivals for Dr. Seidler than any young man that ever lived. I preached the only extended revival that Tabernacle ever had in its history, went three weeks. Um, Dr. Seidler taught me this. The reason why preachers mimic other preachers is because they're not real. Mm. Because when you're real, you're not afraid to be yourself. You don't have to wave your hand like somebody else. You don't have to lift your voice like somebody else. You don't have to have the same style. You do that because you're fake. And all you know how to do is replicate what you're listening to. I would tell every young preacher, get your freaking head out of the sand. Be yourself. There's one Phil kid. God made me that way. And you're an idiot to try to be anything like me. God knew you when he called you. Get by yourself, learn to be yourself, and learn to be comfortable being yourself. Because if most men say what I say, they're going to get hurt. Somebody's going to jack them up. You can't get by with stuff like I do. God has just given me an open door where I can say stuff that most people, they're going to get shot when the service is over with. Mm. And so I would tell them, young men, man, this is a good question. Be yourself. Just absolutely kick out of the traces. Brother, this has gotten so bad, Brother Edwards, that now all these young evangelists have to wear their tie, you know, in their coat, just like this other evangelist, because he preaches at big conferences. Hmm. And they think because they wear their tie like that, that that's going to do. See, that's ridiculous. That's sacrilege. That's cultish. So when I go and I preach meetings and that guy was there, I'd pull my hanky out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let one at all be in my coat because I didn't want anybody to think that I was trying to mimic anybody. There is a stage that young preachers go through being influenced by what they hear. Yeah. But if they're real, they will break out of that shell and become themselves. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know what you're saying right now is so true because in the IFB, there are certain things that are communicated and said out loud and you know, they are the expectations. There's other things that are never said out loud, but you know, those are the expectations. For example, I was 26, 27 years old, driving a burgundy Lincoln Continental with a white leather interior, trying to buy suits. And my wife was telling me the whole time, you look like an idiot. You're, <laughs> you're, look how old you are. And you're driving this funeral car. What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't look like an idiot. I look like a preacher. You know, that's, and you can believe this or not. And this is so sad to admit. But I remember, you know, not thinking my weight was an issue because all of my favorite preachers, man, they were heavy and they would get in the pulpit and make jokes about it. And yes, and about their that. belly flop around when they preach. Yeah. yeah. So it was almost like, you know, it was a, it was a badge of honor. If you were the big preacher and you drove in on a, on a Lincoln, then you got more respect. You, you were booked for more meetings. You had more authority. That's the way I was perceiving that as a young preacher, you know, the whole thing is just, the whole thing's just a mess. It is a mess. 
And, you know, I was thinking when I was coming over here talking to you guys, the independent movement's been around about uh, about 80 years. You know, in the 40s, that's when the... And then the independents decided that if you didn't come out, you were a liberal. Hmm. Well, Adrian Rogers, J. Harold Smith, Percy Ray were not liberals. They were God-fearing Bible preachers, and they stayed in. And so when the independent movement came out in the 40s, now you got 80 years that you guys can look at and discern good and bad from 80 years. I want to prophesy that when your flavor has been around for 80 years, there will be a podcast come out <laughs> that will attack you you guys just like you guys see the folly of the independent movement. Now, here's one question I asked my son. See if this makes sense. There's no doubt that Pastor Paul is to the left of me. He's to the left of me. Not doctrine or anything, just really a few minor things. He's just, to, but he is to the left of me. And I've asked him this. What if your kids go that far to the left of you? That their kids go that the same distance to the left of them? Brother Groves, if, if that keeps happening in three generations, we're back to being infidels again. Hmm. So somewhere there's got to be a balance just a good, solid Bible balance. Dr. Seidler always said, preach the Bible and you'll never have to say you're sorry. Mm. Now, Dr. Seidler had me. He knew I said, you know, dirty, rotten, egg, sucking, yellow belly, good for nothing, copper. He knew all of that. And brother, I had the greatest revival that he ever had in the history of his church. Went three weeks and you couldn't get in the place. You couldn't even get in the overflow room and it seated 350. You couldn't even get in that. They stood around the building like a soup line. But he let me be me. And he would tell me, Brother Kid, just you be Brother Kid in my pulpit. And he gave me that liberty. And he always taught me to never be afraid to be myself. Because Dr. Sider was an unusual man in his own regard. He was a very different man in his personality and everything. So I think we're finding balance that after your movement's up for 80 years, you're going to find a lot of corruption in you guys, too. Let me give you, for instance. I went to a service in Anderson, South Carolina, in a, I guess the word's contemporary church. So I went with my son. I did not go to be critical. I, I'm not doing that. A pastor deserves better than that. I went to learn some administration skills on visitors and following up because the independent movement has no idea what they're doing yeah. as far as the movement is concerned. So I went there to, to get some information on skills. And, uh, man, this guy was lifted up. He was the big shot. He was the big guy coming on. He's got all these campus churches, and he's drunk. He's drunk. Okay, if it's an independent guy, you guys say, what a dirty, rotten, egg-sucking hypocrite. This guy's up preaching, and he's a drunk. That's what you say. But because in, he's in your movement, you guys say, well, you know, he's on his journey. No, he's not. He's a drunk. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if he's a fundamentalist or if he's contemporary, you've got to be consistent. And when your movement's around for 80 years, there's going to be drunks and pedophiles and whoremongers and thieves and crooks. You're going to have the same thing when you guys have been around for 80 years too. That doesn't justify it. And that's why I came out of it. Mm. Now, I would like for you men to help me if, if you would, because I have a question. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. 
Hey guys, thank you for joining us. I think we can all agree that that was not what we were expecting, but hey, whatever side you line up on, we can all agree that having a healthy, respectful conversation is a good thing. So we want to thank Paul and Phil for joining us for this discussion and to tackle these issues. The good news is that there's more to come. The bad news is that you have to wait until next week, Wednesday, August 26th, to hear it. Everyone's been talking about the videos that have gone back and forth on social media, and by now it should be obvious that it was all done in good fun. So we want to remind you, hey, we don't hate anybody. We don't want to bash anyone. We want to help, encourage, and challenge our listeners to value scripture over tradition and to love God and love people. So we look forward to hearing back from you this week. Let us know what you think about it and join us next week right here on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.